0: Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, a Penguin Random House publication that came out last summer. I started this podcast after I wrote the book because I knew that 250 something pages was only the tip of the iceberg in terms of the story of parenting, motherhood, fatherhood, feminism, healthcare. I wanted to keep the conversations going and I wanted to invite women and men from all over the world and all walks of life to share their experiences and their areas of expertise. I wrote my book while looking at my life, my experience as a labor nurse and a writer and a mother and a woman in America. I shared the story of my career and my births and my family and even bits and pieces about my health and my marriage. And my hope was that what I know about maternal health can help other mothers and fathers make solid decisions about their own births and families and relationships and communities. And every time I hear other parents' stories, I realize we all have stuff to share that can make this big job of ours, raising the next generation, a little easier or funnier or more joyful or maybe just a little less stressful. Um... You know, when I'm not doing a podcast, I'm a writer and I write about um, global maternal health and women's issues. And one of the big perks of that is that I get to travel and I get to attend conferences and tour health facilities and advocate for women around the United States and even, you know, travel to other parts of the world. Uh, There's a big maternal health conference happening right now called Women Deliver. Go check it out. Go check it out online. Um, There's live streaming video, and it's really remarkable. All kinds of people are gathering from all over the world to talk about ways to improve the maternal health experience. Um, It's being held in Copenhagen this year, and I'm 100% jealous that I'm not attending it. I was there at Women Deliver a few years ago when it was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And, oh, it was awesome. It was a great group of people. And when I was there, I ran into friends I'd met in Peru when I was reporting for a magazine about um, CARES work to reduce maternal mortality. And I met some new friends who were providing direct service to women and mothers. I met midwives from all over the world, doctors for look, looking for new ways to you know, meet their patients and their populations needs there were global leaders urging the world to do more to save mothers lives and make their lives thrive it was incredibly inspiring While I was there one of the women um, I met she works at the World Bank in DC she was a colleague of a friend I'd met in Peru and since both of us were traveling we decided to meet up for drinks our first night in Kuala Lumpur and we hit it off immediately, and we've kept our conversation going whenever possible. When I'm in D.C., I drop in and see her. And I got to see her last week when I attended CARES National Conference, um, and I was there to advocate on Capitol Hill uh, for some some of CARES' issues while I was there. So anyway, my friend and I got together once again. Um, her name is Jacqueline, and she has such insightful things to share about the experience of, you know, being a single parent, about raising a teenage boy, um, about being from another culture and looking at pregnancy and parenting from an outside-the-U.S. perspective, and about raising a black boy in America. So I invited Jacqueline to join us on the line. Hi, Jeannie. Hey, Jacqueline. How are you? I'm well, I'm well,
1: except for the rain in D.C. You've got my weather. (laughs) You can have it back.
0: No, thank you. I've got a little sunny patch in the afternoon right now. And, (laughs) you know, it seems like most of my podcasts, I end up starting off asking people about the weather because our weather sucks all the time until we get to June. And then it starts getting to be glorious. And then I can just revel in it. Well, you guys are going to have hot, sweaty, muggy D.C. I'm going to have beautiful Oregon.
1: <laughs> right now, I would take hot, sweaty, my DC. I'm so sick of the rain. How long's it been going on? Um, We had yesterday off. We had sunshine yesterday, and we're in for rain for the rest of the week.
0: Well, there you go. Sorry. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, Jacqueline, the first thing I want to do is I want our listeners to know who you are and what you do. So I'm going to leave that bio Explaining to you.
1: Okay, so I am an aspiring multimedia journalist, um, but my real job is in development communications. So telling results stories for maternal and child health projects. Um, I'm also a mom, so a very topical job that I have, um, which makes me realize how lucky I am to have had my child in a country where healthcare was available, affordable and accessible to me um, because many of the women in the stories that I tell for work don't have that luxury.
0: So I have learned firsthand over this last year since I've um, done a little editing for Jacqueline that what she's talking about is that all of these programs that happen all over the world receive funding. And part of the deal with getting funding for maternal health programs is that they have to collect information, data, And then Jacqueline gets all this data from, you know, people that are working in healthcare facilities and community programs from all over the world. And she has to turn the data into stories. Is
1: that right? Kind of. So one part of our program does track data because we only pay when services have been delivered and verified, which, you know, turns the traditional aid model upside down Mm -hmm. instead of pumping money into the project and then hoping things go well. We're actually contracting clinics to deliver the services, um, the specific package for women and children. And once they've delivered services and the services are verified, then we actually pay for results. And we're finding that it makes the whole, you know, global development model a little bit more efficient. There's still a new approach, but you know, we're still trying to make progress on women and children's health post-MDGs, you know, the targets of which we missed. Great progress made, but we didn't quite get there. Yeah. And so I think approaches like this that put results at the core can only add value, right?
0: Right. So post-MDG, um, I've talked about this on the podcast before, that was a set of really vast goals that were set by um, the United Nations and participating countries in order to dramatically reduce poverty and maternal mortality and reproductive um, challenges. And it did pretty good. It brought numbers down considerably in a lot of different um, target areas. But uh, women's and maternal health, specifically reproductive health, didn't do as well as any other target goal. So that's what we're talking about here, programs in development to improve reproductive and maternal health care in developing countries.
1: Exactly. Because healthy women and children, you know, they strengthen societies. That's your future workforce. That's your current workforce. Right. And it's, it's a real shame if like for really, really easily preventable conditions, we're losing women and children before they've had a chance to live their lives and contribute to society.
0: Yeah. And you know, I like to think of it, not just that they survive, but imagine a world where all mothers thrived.
1: Yes. Yeah, you know? surviving and, is not good enough, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, and and not they thrived and they knew that they were just crushing it as
1: mothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: imagine yeah. a world where their children are in charge. That would be a different thing altogether.
1: That is the paradigm shift. If you look at a continent like Africa, which has the youngest population in the world and will do for a long time to come, can you imagine if those children had, one, the opportunity to be born safely, to survive and then thrive. Can you imagine what that would do to poverty?
0: I do imagine it. I do, I think about it. I don't know that a lot of people do because I think that we are almost acculturated to think of it as hopeless. But I'm actually very, very hopeful. And I think both of us have seen dramatic improvements at least in the professional capacities where we stand
1: hmm mm-hmm. yeah, Certainly true. not
0: anything good enough, and we've got a long way, baby. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a whole generation that loves technology, that knows how to use it, and that are creating their own solutions. Genie, they're not waiting to be rescued. You know, they're seeing what issues are on their doorsteps, and really the lives they want to build. And it's fabulous to watch. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of entrepreneurship. And technology really is going to be the great equalizer, and I'm just excited to see the leaps and bounds for Africa in particular. Um, Born as I was in Zimbabwe, you know, that continent is absolutely um, my heart, so any progress there um, is a progress for all of us because it is such a big part of the the development um, industry. but also, it's the second most populous continent on the world. So, if you get Africa right, that's a big impact for humanity at large.
0: I like that. If you get Africa right. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, part of, you know, your answer to the who you are and what you do question was that you're a mom,
1: and I am.
0: you have a 15-year-old son. I do. <laughs> You, you and I commiserate over drinks about this, this raising of the boys question.
1: It is a tough one. It is a tough one.
0: Yeah, it really is. So on a lot of different angles, you and I have a lot in common because we mm-hmm. both work in the reproductive health spectrum. We both are raising children. We both get to do a bit of travel and see what mm-hmm. things are like around the world. Um, but we also have some, you know, you are having some experiences that I don't have a reflection on, and vice versa. I've got the five kid perspective going on. You've got the single, <laughs> single parenting <laughs> thing going on. Uh-huh. I am a fifty-five year old white woman in Portland, and I don't know exactly now how old you are, Jacqueline.
1: But what is something we'll do?
0: That's good. That's good. <laughs> in DC, what is something? Yeah. Born in Zimbabwe,
1: mm-hmm. grew up
0: in England, correct?
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've got some things to talk about.
1: We do, we do. So, so we met in Kuala
0: are- Lumpur, just to add a little glo- another global layer to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mutual friends of a colleague of yours at the World Bank mm-hmm. at the Women Deliver Conference. And I yeah. was mentioning in my, um, you know, before I got you on the line, that you know, Women Deliver is this incredible coming together of people from all over the world to do their thing to improve conditions for women um, around maternal health. What do you think about it? What did, you know, that I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that conference. Um, What did you think about it when you went three Um, years ago?
1: I I loved it um, because it was such a celebration of women and work that we're already doing, work that we could be doing, um, and the organizations that support that whole cause, you know. Um, If we're not tapping into the talents and energy and education and knowledge of women, we're leaving half of the world's best asset untapped Mm -hmm. so i love women deliver because it does um because every three years it shines a spotlight on on women Mm -hmm. um so the issues that need to be addressed um gender equity um, education maternal and child health as we work in and so many other areas and sectors where women are not quite either getting a fair go to show what they can do, um, but also areas where they need a helping hand. Um, And then of course, seeing them as leaders, seeing them on these panels, you know, there's a big issue, which I'm totally behind about getting rid of all male panels in the development space. So women deliver, finding women on panels is almost the norm and that's something to celebrate and it really is an example. For, for other panels on any topic, regardless of whether it's development context or corporate context. Women have something to say. They have experiences to share. And um, I love that Women Deliver gives us this whole platform dedicated to hearing those voices yeah, and hearing those stories.
0: So it, there's, you know, Melinda Gates spoke that year. Chelsea Clinton spoke that year. So there's there's the big global leaders, but then there are also mm-hmm. the um, the smaller leaders and the direct service providers. And, and, um, you know, that is where I went to a side panel discussion about, um, anti-shock garments Mm -hmm. designed, you know, it's like a, it looks like a big wetsuit and you, when a woman is hemorrhaging, you wrap her in this thing and pump it up and it squeezes the body to keep blood in the blood vessels instead of letting her bleed out while she is rushed from, you know, her small village or her, small home to the closest health care facility. And, you know, I just I loved actually i I'd heard about it.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um but it was an opportunity to really see it how it works and how it could work and hear about the statistics and the lives saved. And that was really I really loved seeing that. And then I also met Doctor Laura Stachel, Stachel. Um she's mm-hmm. the obstetrician from Northern California who developed um We Care Solar and oh wow. Uh-huh. She, what do they do? Well they she and her um husband, co partner, developed this solar suitcase where it's solar panels and basic solar devices in the installation in a carry-on suitcase. And wow. she yeah, they, you know, used the technology that they could bank on in solar power business in the Bay Area in California and designed these Things that can be carried onto suitcases and delivered to hospitals in developing countries that are operating off the grid. And it means the difference between having light for a nighttime delivery Mm -hmm. and, you know, a mother hemorrhaging in the dark because no one can see that she's bleeding. And it's just, yeah, I love it.
1: That matters. You know, I went to visit one of the projects that we support in Zimbabwe, ironically, and this was a hospital where I have a list as long as my arm of living relatives that were born there. Mm -hmm. Um, I even got an opportunity to see the home they used to live in. But the sister in charge there, the head nurse there, was telling me that before the project which um, enabled them to buy some solar lamps, um, women sometimes had to deliver at night with somebody in the delivery room Constantly lighting newspaper, you can imagine the smoke and the stench and the thought of a new baby coming into the world to that, you know, was really disappointing. So, solar is amazing. Solar is amazing because it's transformative for a lot of contexts. You know, we take switches and electricity for granted. um, And in other places, solar is is giving other people an opportunity to to have that access to just the most basic requirement. Yeah. A bit of light when you're delivering your baby that is not too much to ask.
0: And in addition to providing the equipment, they provide mm-hmm. training so that when the equipment inevitably breaks down, there is a skilled technician in the community who knows how to fix it. You know, you you hear so often stories about products and you know equipment that is delivered to a hospital in a rural village um but nobody there knows how to operate it or how to put it together or you know when the power goes out they don't know how to repair the wires those kinds of things and so it's another big shift that we're hearing a lot more about is don't just show up with the equipment you have to provide the training so that it's sustainable
1: well before you even get to that stage you you're raising like a really good point it's that whole um, international level making assumptions mm-hmm. on what makes sense on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about asking questions first and really establishing um, in partnership with the community you're trying to support or help, mm-hmm. you know, what makes sense in their context. You know, just because a nice lamp that plugs into a wall works for me in Arlington, Virginia, <laughs> right. you know, if you give it to me when I'm in 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 you know in a different context, um, where maybe even the plugs or the powerpoints are a different shape, you know, with all the best will in the world, your lamp is not going to help me. So you're you're raising another really, really important shift, I think, that's that I'm seeing more of in development, which is bothering to understand the context and and really asking what people need and what makes sense instead of imposing what you think is best for them. So there are a lot of um, positive new directions um, that I'm seeing a lot of. And, and, you know, I definitely appreciate the way our industry is going.
0: I remember um, I was visiting in a clinic in um, a very remote part of Haiti. <clears throat> and as they were showing us around the hospital grounds, there was a great big like shipping container, big metal shipping container that took up almost an entire side yard it was a big thing and I asked what that was and um the person giving the tour said that somebody had shipped it over from I think the United States after the earthquake and it had been filled with supplies Uh huh. but that had been five years before and nobody knew how to get rid of the shipping container <laughs> you know
1: so it was just left there. Yeah,
0: yeah. They they had, you know, some ideas that maybe they could use that bit of property at some point. But there was no, whoever got the stuff there left the container and took up a, you know, it's that a kind lot of. lot of space. Yeah, yeah. And they couldn't, they didn't have any way to truck it back down the mountain. No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no. But having said that, last Christmas I was in South Africa, downtown Johannesburg and there's actually, um, I guess the nearest equivalent in the US would be a slip mall, but it's actually called the containers, and you have different stores that have used old shipping containers, customized them, and actually turned them into stores. Well, that's so that's brilliant. something they could consider doing in Haiti, making I it a little...
0: Yeah, maybe so,
1: maybe so. <laughs> a little store, if it's yeah. stuck there, they may as well put it to good use, right?
0: Yeah, I'm sure that eventually they would. At the time, the person that was giving us the tour seemed kind of annoyed by it. Like, you know, we could have put a playground there. We could have planted a garden there. But I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It would be interesting to know or hear what's happened since.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about single parenthood. That is something that I know nothing
1: about. Well, I almost feel like um, the term single parenthood is somewhat misleading, right? Tell me Um, why. Because nobody raises a child by themselves. True. Is the bottom line. True. It absolutely takes a village and even the loneliest person in the world will have a village, whether it's the school community or the sports team, um, the parents of your child's friends, you know? So mm-hmm. I always find it um, an inaccurate description, I think, of, of what it means.
0: What's a to, better way to describe it?
1: I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know that we have to describe it in any way other than parenting, right?
0: I think, though, that maybe it isn't an entirely different thing, but... yeah. I think it's different, because you don't have anybody to, you know, on a daily basis to pass off to.
1: That that can actually be that can be a bonus. <laughs> it, it can be a bit of a bonus, right? Because the values you know are going to be consistent with mine, right? So true. So there are things that I don't have to negotiate. <laughs>
0: That's a good point.
1: Yeah, there are things that I don't have to negotiate um, that um, parents that are a couple maybe would. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like anything, it has pros and it has cons. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a con when you're doing the worrying by yourself. Yeah, I bet. Um, And so I think in that sense, it does help to have somebody to, to worry with and to split the burden with. Um, but for the most part, um, I think it works quite nicely as long as you have a good family, you know, good community, solid friends and support for yourself, um, especially when they hit 15 and, you know, home <laughs> 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 oh, feels like a war zone oh, 90% of the time. Oh, do and I know love it. fest for the other 10%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do I
0: know it. You know, I'm yeah. thinking about, you know, I don't know exactly. How, I, I'm sure I could do it. Because all the things that you think you can't really do and look really, really hard from the other side, yeah, you can probably actually do it. But I'm thinking about all of the times where one kid or another is just, they're just unfathomable to me. They're doing something that I don't get. I can't stop. I don't know what to do. And I need to pass that kid off to my husband before I do something that's going to go down in the history books. And, I mean, I know you get to that point. Right? Tell me I get right. To that
1: point, but I have, <laughs> I have foils, right? I have, I have um, family members. I have a brother, for example, mm-hmm. um, who is a nice proxy for I'm handing this over to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, you fix it. <laughs> fix yeah, it. <laughs>
1: and he, for the most part, can play the good guy, right? Because we, we can both go to him and tell our side of the story and be complaining, and he's on my side and he's on his nephew's side. Um, yeah, I think I think I think you have to work it out. I think you do have to find somebody to fulfil that role. Ultimately, Earl is a boy, and there are things that I won't understand about what he's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's a language, right, that boys, men use with each other. That I couldn't possibly know and certainly wouldn't be able to use credibly, so I do think you have to find um a surrogate
0: and he'd be so embarrassed if you did try exactly. to use that language exactly
1: I would be embarrassed. I'd be mortified. <laughs> <laughs> I would be mortified so, um, so so you make it work, you make it work.
0: so many I say young mothers, but I mean mothers of children younger than ours, yeah they are terrified of the teenage years,
1: yeah. And, with good
0: reason. <laughs> you know, with good reason, but maybe not as much reason as we are afraid for. You know, I've I've got um, four of my kids past the teenage years and mm-hmm. one who is a nice solid 16, which in some people's minds is, you know, that that's just like the seventh ring of hell, the idea of having <laughs> a 16-year-old daughter. But I actually feel like... Yeah, the teenage years definitely have some massive challenges, as do all the different stages, the terrible twos and the horrible threes and the freak out fours or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just different challenges and you have to have different tools to deal with them, but also from the perspective of you're not in 100% control anymore. You can't pick the kid up and put them in a timeout. (laughs)
1: no yeah those days are gone yeah um I think I worry more um I can handle the rebellion I can handle the moodiness because I know how I was (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I was that age so to some degree it's a little bit funny because um you really do pay the price for how badly behaved you were (laughs) Mm -hmm. with your parents and I'm probably doing a bit of that now
0: are you going to tell me how bad you were
1: well I really wasn't that bad because I think in London you know there is no bad. There's just young, right? Right. Um, but I think here I worry more about him because as he gets older and taller, and we're seeing more social media videos and news coverage on on you know police interaction with young black men. Um, I think I worry more about that.
0: So that's than something. His
1: bad behavior.
0: That's something you and I talked about last year when we met for coffee in D.C.
1: Yeah. About, he was
0: 14 then, and, you know, I have raised a white teenage boy, Yeah, and I have had a lot of fear for my son, moving, just walking about the city, being harassed by, you know, kids... That he walks past and police as they drive past. But it's on a different level than what you're experiencing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He's a target, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, But he's a good boy. He is, but that's not the criteria, it seems.
0: (laughs) It doesn't matter how good they are. That
1: would put him in a situation that could escalate out of nothing into everything.
0: Have you seen Um, that happen yet with your son or with his friends?
1: No, 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 not yet, not yet. And one of my um, biggest fears is that his friends could potentially find themselves faced with the choice of being a human shield, you know, or witnesses to something that no child should ever see happen to a friend of theirs. Yeah. Um, and either option is so unacceptable. Um, so the very notion that it should even cross my mind, um, I think says a lot about society right now for, for young men that you know look like my son and my son's culture or background Um, that it's never going to be his character or the family he comes from or the neighbourhood he lives in, all of which, you know, are of a decent, decent level, decent character. Um, But in the end, um, he may never get a chance to say, actually, what you imagine I'm about to do, I would never do, would never even consider, because the judgment would have been made on such a superficial external factor and for all sorts of 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 instincts that are not based on fact or taking the time to speak to somebody but on stereotypes on just years and decades of of stereotyping and bad media and Mm -hmm. criminalizing one group and not others Um, In a split second, all those things sort of collide, right? And they converge to create these really, really ugly situations, which, you know, teenagers, it's your right to behave badly or to, to, to find yourself walking home late when you should have been home two hours ago. That's what teenagers do. That's what teenagers do, and that's how they learn to be responsible. Because on that walk, when they're a couple of hours late, they should be scared of the trouble they're going (laughs) to get in when they get home, Mm -hmm. and scared because they're still kids and they're probably scared of the dark, right? Mm -hmm. But that's all they should be scared of. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, um, that's all I should be scared of. Right. I should never have to imagine um, that if anything is slightly off time or off the unusual, I should never have to imagine that the worst is a feasible outcome.
0: So how would it be different if you were raising your son in in England or in Zimbabwe?
1: Um, in Zimbabwe, I don't know so much. Um, but I think it would be better. There's probably a lot less walking around. Um, and chances are, if we were living the quality of life that we're living here, um, he would be moving within a probably a pretty limited geographical area. Mm-hmm. Um, and in England you are allowed to be young, at least when I was his age, we were allowed to be young, you know. One, the police don't carry guns. Mm-hmm. Two, policing in the UK is very much about community policing. So the police walk the beat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you will see the same face over and over over time. So they don't swoop in or look at people and make judgments from through their car windows. Um, And because um, the UK doesn't have a gun culture, I think the police don't have that fear for their lives that I imagine the police in America have to have because you don't know who is carrying a weapon here, whether it's legally or illegally. The fact is this is a country in which people carry guns. And people have, you know, the right to conceal, carry. And so you don't know who has a weapon. So I imagine it's really tough as well being law enforcement here because you don't know what you're facing at any given point.
0: Law enforcement Um, is scared. Teenagers are scared. Parents are scared.
1: Exactly. And so fear. Yeah, we're swimming in it. Fear is so damaging, right, because it makes us all... Hypersensitive, it makes us all overreact, it makes us all jump to conclusions. And so, situations that could be negotiated um, or handled without having to pull a trigger just escalate and it escalates quickly because if I have to choose my life or yours, you know, how many of us are going to choose the other person's life?
0: Not many. Not many. You know,
1: the human instinct is to protect yourself, is to survive, right? Right. And so the gun culture, I think, creates just a really messy situation in which everybody wants to be sure they're the ones that survive the encounter. And I don't know that you have, you know, I don't know that it's that intense in the UK setting Hmm. Hmm. um, because the police are trained to police in the community. Um, But also they're trained to to subdue suspects, you know, mano a mano, so to speak. You know, they can use their truncheon. They can, (laughs) I don't know how they're trained, but, you know, pulling a trigger is not an option available to them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So you either negotiate or you know how to overpower in a way that still leaves the other person alive but handcuffed.
0: You know, we started this podcast, imagine what life would be like. And, yeah. you know, I imagine in America where our kids were safe to be teenagers, regardless. Safe to be teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. you know, there's no sugarcoating it. Teenagers can do some incredibly stupid stunts, but they also do some of the most passionate and inspiring and motivating things. They're just so, you know, they still have, so- it's all about potential for them.
1: And they grow up to change the world. Yes, they If they can they live do. long enough, they actually do grow up and they change the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I know
1: it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. America definitely is the land of opportunity, you know, but we moved here when Earl was five. So this was never an issue for me. Um mm. But also, I hadn't seen this side of American life, you know, until it becomes news. Literally, every couple of months, yeah. every couple of months, every couple of months, and so it and wears those are me just the cases
0: bit. that are on the news.
1: Those are just the cases that are on the news, um, and I've I've wondered as well if maybe it feels like it's a lot because through social media and the twenty-four hour news cycle. Now you hear about it on everybody's doorstep. Mm -hmm. And I'm imagining, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would literally only hear about it if it was on your doorstep. Right. On local news, you know, but cable news and that whole trying to feed the 24-hour news monster also over-communicates. So you know about it, whether it's happening on your doorstep, next door, the next state.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's it's, it's too much. It's too much. But I also don't want to be a person that shies away from watching the news. You know, that's not healthy either. Yeah. Um, But it can get a bit depressing.
0: Well, that's another element of of raising teenagers or just raising children in this day and age is the electronic and technical and social media component. And we're all of us, none of us are experts in this. Yeah. You know, when our kids, when the kids who are being who are growing up with the technology that they have today, when their parents, they're gonna be the ones that are gonna say, okay, well, this part was great. That part needs restriction. I think we're all just flying blind.
1: I think we are, and I hope we regress actually when it comes to technology. <laughs> I do too. I'm overwhelmed at work, at home, yeah. communicating with a teenager. There's too much, too much choice, too many gadgets. So much too fun. many messages from different places. Yeah. It drives me nuts to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if it drives us nuts and we're grown ass <laughs> women <laughs> with the capability of shutting things down, imagine what it's doing to our teenagers.
1: Who don't want to miss a thing.
0: Not a thing.
1: Not a yes. message.
0: Fear of missing. Not out. a Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. FOMO. FOMO.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, I get FOMO when I think about getting off Facebook. I can't quite.
0: I know. I know. And yet it's such a time suck.
1: Yeah. I can't quite bring myself to switch off just yet.
0: I have heard tales that life is better on the other side of
1: Facebook. Really? I've heard tales. Who is this person that has dared to cross?
0: Oh, you know, most of them are pretty young. They're in their, you know, early 20s. And they, I know a couple of women who are my age or older who just said, you know what, it made me anxious. It made me feel anxious. But I know a lot of, of, you know, young adults who said, I realized that I really could be living my entire life online. My The work that I do is all computer oriented. The socializing I do was all computer oriented, even dating is computer oriented.
1: Yeah, yeah, I
0: haven't put my hands on a real thing in months. and so they there are a lot of kids who are just eschewing social media or maybe one or two outlets just as a yeah. way of taming it. And when they do that, they open up huge swashes swaths of time
1: to do. It, other to have experience, to live, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to live their lives. I have to say though, like um, the young people, you know, they can still go to Happy Hour and go out and have a lot of in real life yeah. experiences. But I've been there and done that, Jimmy. I don't want to be in a bar at Happy Hour. I don't yeah. want to be walking around town at eleven p.m. You know. So yeah. just maybe, <laughs> the so virtual maybe that's, living.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's
1: not such a bad deal. Yeah. I can have all the fun from the comfort of my couch. <laughs> there is that. There um, is that.
0: <laughs> Jacqueline, you and I have been talking for quite a bit, and I want to ask you the last question that I ask everybody who comes on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. You ready? Mm-hmm.
0: Where are you in your life as a mom?
1: I think now I'm really beginning to learn how to parent. I think it's easy when you're changing diapers and you can set the bedtime and you can get them up and you can get them dressed and you can get them to where they need to be. I think you really start to parent when you have to negotiate boundaries, when you have to when you have to to deal with somebody with their own opinion, with their own idea of what they want to do with their time and how they want to do it. Um, The biggest challenge at the moment is wanting to watch this person grow, but at the same time, accepting that that means letting go Mm -hmm. of some of my ideas of what makes sense at 15. You know, what an appropriate curfew is for him, Um, how long he should go or be out there without communicating and letting me know where he is and with who. Um, So he's starting to build a life, um, and a life that I don't know every single detail of, and a life that I can't schedule in my calendar for my convenience. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they get
0: mighty inconvenient, those teenagers, don't they? So inconvenient.
1: (laughs) So whereas before I could plan, we'll leave home at such and such a time have your shoes on, have this on. Yeah. <laughs> that can become strangely complicated at this age.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Because if they decide, actually, I don't want to go <laughs> Yeah. That's a whole other level of negotiation that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. I thought I had trained them to cooperate with me, what I say goes.
0: And then he went and started to grow into an independent adult.
1: To think for himself. Darn it. Darn I, it. Save it until you've left home.
0: Yeah, dude. <laughs> I've often said, you know, the first 10 years of raising a child is keeping them safe and protected from the world. And yeah. the second 10 years is about easing up on protections and sending them out in the world. And the whole. Sending
1: them out.
0: Yeah. And the whole goal is that you raise your kids to the point where you're out of the best job of your life
1: yeah 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 yeah. i think that's the realization i'm coming to that i am essentially doing myself out of a job yeah um and that in fact my job was to do exactly that prepare him to step out with confidence to make smart decisions to know how to find his way home Mm -hmm. Um, even if he takes a left turn when he should have taken a right turn um, Either literally scary.
0: or metaphorically. <laughs> Mostly
1: metaphorically. <laughs> because if it's become literally well, there, there, there are other issues at play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's scary. The letting go when yeah. you want to hold on and make sure he's safe. That's tough.
0: Yeah, it is. That's
1: tough. So I think now I'm learning to parent. Um, so to answer your question more directly, I feel like I'm at the beginning. Wow. I feel like I'm at the beginning, um, everything up to this point was building the foundation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, getting to know this person that I'm tasked with raising in this world. Um, and now I will really get to parent because a big part of it will be stepping back and letting him grow and letting him blossom and letting him be a leader in his own life.
0: Nice. And nice. that's
1: tough. That's tough. It it's is. Scary
0: but it's beautifully stated. Well, Jacqueline, let's leave the conversation here for now and we'll return to it at some point down the road. Thank you so much for coming on the phone with us today.
1: Thank you, Jenny. I enjoyed the conversation.
0: We'll talk again soon.
1: Definitely. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days
0: guest was Jacqueline Sabanda. You can learn more about her work at JacquelineSabanda.com. Uh, that is S-I-B-A-N-D-A. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, everywhere books are sold. And you can email me at jean at jean I'm on Twitter too, at jean Faulkner. This podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. Thank you all for listening, for sharing this podcast, for subscribing, and for helping us to keep this conversation going. We'll talk again next week.